Let everybody make their exit this morning. We'll mention one thing to you this morning. Uh, <clears throat> as we were, I think it was, was it yesterday or Friday? I'm not sure which day it was. Um, I got a phone call from Camp Evangel, and uh, I was kind of, uh, you know, wasn't, didn't know exactly what to expect about the phone call, and so I answered it, and they said, well, our speaker has been exposed to COVID for the teen week next week, and they want to know if they could find somebody to fill in. Of course, that was me, and I said I would, so... We are going to be going down to Pounding Mill, Virginia tomorrow and uh, spending the week at camp speaking to teenagers. And so I uh, appreciate your prayers for that. They had over 60 uh, for junior week, had some saved at camp. And uh, so we're looking forward to opportunity. I haven't done this for a while. And uh, I know I'm just a pinch hitter, just filling in. But uh, still, it's a great opportunity to be able to share the gospel with some kids from Appalachia. And uh, that's, of course, that's our home country anyway, and it's always great to be able to uh, have that encounter with those individuals as well. Trust you are praying uh, for the future, for tonight. Uh, God's prayers and the prayers of God's people are always important at a time such as this, and I trust that you have bathed yourself and our church in your prayers as to uh, God's will for the future, and that is always important to seek His will, and so I just trust that uh, you're very much doing so on a daily basis, not just for this, but for all kinds of things. But of course, when something special comes up, we need to be very much involved in prayer as well. We were, as you know, gone for a number of weeks, uh, purposely not here last week because of a candidate. thought that would only be fair for, uh, for the one who was here. Uh, weeks ahead of that, I mentioned Martin and our time was pretty well consumed with that, it seemed as if, and uh, so uh, continue to pray for us and pray for God's will, and uh, it's always important to pray for God's will, isn't it? And uh, we know that God is going to direct and guide in every area, and so we are, again, um, asking you to pray for Him, but also for the family and, and uh, for uh, all the events there, because it was quite a enlightening time for us. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the passage that I want you to think about with me this morning. We are moving through and almost finished with the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, as you can see here, next Sunday, of course, Randy will be speaking. The Merrills will be with us for Bible school. And then you have the potluck and then a week of uh, intensive trying to see children come to know Christ. And again, appreciate the, the uh, testimony there by Deanna and her diligent work there and all the ones who were involved in that this week. What a great ministry it is. You know, whenever you um, think about people, it's usually their, their dying words, and that's sort of what you have here, is the dying words, or he's going to die. He's not dying right now. But the last few words of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy is that book that deals with his dying words or his final instructions to Timothy, and we've been looking at that, haven't we? Remember our theme was Timothy... Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And I think in light of Sunday school this morning, we need that challenge even more, do we not? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of what your mother and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice, and what a great heritage Timothy had. Oh, that every child could be raised in a Christian home, right? Where mom and dad in this situation and grandparents were praying for them and 
asking them or asking the Lord to watch over them, protect them. What a great blessing that is. And Timothy had that on his mother's side anyway, of having uh, these prayers of God's people. And now as Paul is moving towards the end, and he's going to uh, give us some instructions at the last, the last of the chapter about a number of people, but he is telling Timothy certain things he wants him to remember. He wants him to very much keep in mind because, you know, the dying words of people are always important. You know, I've even got a book. I didn't bring it in here to read you some of them. There's all kinds of quotes from dying people. You know, they have these famous last quotes. But you know the best illustration that I can think of? Gun smoke. Remember Marshall Dillon, don't you? I know some of you don't. You're too young for that. But every time, you know, there was some kind of great tragedy or tragic murder committed, and the outlaw who did the deed as he's laying there dying, then he confesses. And of course, that's always looked upon as true, right? Because he has nothing to hide at this point. And so it had to be true at this point. You know, that's sort of that everything is there. There's nothing left. Your, old, your life is over. And this is not, of course, that situation. But this is Paul wanting to have some, some, some input into Timothy's life and tell him some things that he needs to be sure that he remembers. And again, very familiar passage. Uh, this is the passage that I even dealt with with my father's funeral because I thought it was so appropriate. But, you know, it is a passage that is so important for all of us to see and to consider. And over 30 years, Paul has been faithful to Christ. Isn't that a great blessing? And as I read the life of the Apostle Paul, I really can't find the problem times or the times whenever he uh, messed up. And I guess we can use our language today. But this is 30 years after the road to, the road to Damascus encounter. And as he is reflecting on his days, he has no regrets. I can't even find any remorse in these words. He's not somehow saying, boy, you know, I wish we could have done this better or that better. You know, all of us, I'm sure we could think about our lives and say, well, you know, I could have done that better. I could have done this better. Uh, there's something over Paul, he doesn't express regrets, remorse. He's simply here saying, you know, this is what I want you to understand and see about me. As time comes to, the, as, comes to a conclusion, and Paul would, would be concerned because he's going to escape prison by death. You know, we don't always think of death being an escape for prison, do we? But he is going to be martyred as far as we know. He will be martyred quickly. And he was concerned that Timothy and others, and there's the list of some of these folks in the last part of chapter 4, would carry on, would continue on with the gospel message. Because Paul's life was taken with the gospel. He understood that the only thing that changes people's lives is the gospel. Nothing else. Everything else is really transparent and doesn't have any depth to it. But when God saved you, He changed you, made you different. And that's what's important about the gospel. And that's what the gospel can do for us. And so we find that he ends his life here with this eloquent calmness. 
And it comes from this settled conviction and confidence in the Lord. You know, it's pretty easy to, to live the life sometimes of a Christian, but sometimes it's hard to finish. It's easy sometimes to start it off, but many folks don't finish real well. You've got to have some staying power. You've got to have some stick-to-itiveness. All those terms the coach used to tell you in the locker room, remember? To get you motivated for the contest that was about to transpire. Well, that's the kind of person Paul is, and he wants to continue on. Even verse 13, he'll say, you know, bring the parchments. I want to continue studying. I'm not finished. Even though it's almost finished for me, life, I'm going to continue working with what God would have me to do. What an attitude. What a, what a confidence that he has. And so we find this, this morning that these are Paul's final words, basically, to his young son. I want us to stand together and read verses 6 and 7 together, if you would, please. Those great verses, and you probably know them, but let's all stand and then we'll have a word of prayer. <clears throat> and then we're going to look at the present, the past, and the prize. So let's uh, read these verses together. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Father, thank you for Paul's testimony. Thank you for his diligence. Thank you that he was willing to fight a good fight and finish the course. He didn't err from you. Now, he wasn't perfect, of course, but he was faithful to the divine call that he received there on the road to Damascus. Help us to always be faithful to the divine call you give to us in this world in which we live today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> be seated. Almost every commentator you look at, it's very hard to miss this outline. You have to almost be blind to do so because of the way it's laid out in these three verses. Because he starts dealing with, first of all, the present and what's going on in the present in his life. And then he's going to move to his past testimony. And then he'll talk about this prize that is a part of his life at the end. So first thing I want you to notice on your outline this morning is the present. And uh, that's found in verse 6 of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I would say, first of all, we have an attitude. And the attitude is, I am ready. <clears throat> I am ready to be offered. No matter what the future holds, I'm ready. Isn't it great to be ready? You know what it's like whenever you're trying to get everybody, and, you know, we kind of experienced that with two babies, one three months and one year and a half. Uh, getting ready is an adventure that I had forgotten all about until I was reminded of those things once, once again. And I have never in my life saw, and it's, it has to be worse today than it was when our kids grew up, I have never in my life saw so much paraphernalia that you have to pack in order to deliver a child to its destination. Every parent in this room is agreeing with me, right? They know exactly what I'm saying. I mean, it's amazing. And so, you know, for a new mother or a young mother and father, just being ready, it's an accomplishment. <laughs> you got to have some fortitude. You got to have some planning. 
And that's not, of course, what Paul is talking about, but he says, I'm ready. Isn't it great to be ready? Ready to do whatever God wants you to do. That's an attitude. It's an attitude of being prepared, having everything in place, understanding the situation, knowing what is demanded, knowing what's going to happen, knowing what your part in will be as well. And he says, I'm ready. And notice he's ready to be offered. That's strong language here that's coming from the Old Testament. Comes out of Leviticus mainly, but it's the idea of the drink offering of the Old Testament. And it would be given with other offerings, and it would be a pouring it out. It doesn't quite a drink. It wasn't the same idea, but remember whenever David is seated and the enemies have the, the well of Beth, Bethlehem. I can't remember exactly where it's at, but he has the, they have the well of Bethlehem. The Philistines do. And one day he's sort of wishing out loud, and he's saying, oh, if I could just have some water from that well there in Bethlehem. Remember those three brave men break through the Philistine lines and they get him that water and bring it back to him. And every time I read I think to myself, boy, what's he do with it? He pours it out as a drink offering. Now I think, man, after all that risk, you think he'd be kind of upset, but he pours it out as a drink offering. And that's sort of what Paul says, you know, my life is being poured out. I have done everything I need to do. I am now ready for this time. And Paul had been faithful, hadn't he? Boy, read 2 Corinthians, not right now, verses 11, verses 23 through 27. Shipwrecked, stoned, beaten. That list is long as he recants for us in that section the days and nights that he had to spend in the deep and how God worked through his life. So when he says, I'm ready, He'd been through the meal, so to speak, in our language. He had watched God work. And he had been faithful in the battle. And he says, the time of my departure is at hand. The time of my departure is at hand. He has little time left. Now, he's going to use his time well. Look at verse 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with me and the books but exposed to the parchments. I'm going to continue. I'm going to study. I'm not going to give up. So bring those things with you, would you please? I need them. I need to work upon these things. He's not going to sit there and waste his time or feel sorry for himself or twiddle his thumbs or think, oh, how terrible it is that I'm here in this Roman prison and I really haven't done anything wrong except the gospel. And you know, go into that pity party. Sometimes we have a tendency to do. <clears throat> no. He's going to be busy. And he's not going to waste his time. But he says, I know it is at hand. Notice the prepositional phrase? It's at hand. It's going to come quickly. Now, he doesn't know. We don't know when this happened. We don't know how long it was. But it's going to come quickly. And it's not a dreaded death. One of the devotions I gave you this week was Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. Remember that passage? I trust that you observed that with me during the week. And there he's talking about being in a straight, a straight between, between two or betwixt two. Whether to go with God or, or be with you, which is better. 
And, you know, he says, I would love to go with my heavenly father into heaven, but he says, I understand he has a ministry for me. So, you know, Paul is ready for his heavenly reward. And he understands that. So it's not a dreading thing. Oh, no, what are we going to do? How am I going to handle this? It's not a painful thing, but it is a departure. That word departure is a great word. It's used in the Bible many times for death. Now, at a funeral, this is always comforting to me when you think about what that word means. And there are some meanings to this word. Let me just give you a couple of them. Uh, one word is it's the unyoking of an ox after it has toiled all day long. Isn't that a great picture of death for a believer? They've toiled. They've labored. And now they're going to be unhitched from that labor and they're going to be with their Savior forever. It also has the idea of loosening the bonds or a fetter of somebody who's in prison. You know, now you are free to be what God has designed you to be throughout creation. It's the idea of loosening the ropes of a tent, striking camp, moving on. That's what death is. You're moving on to a new country. Also, it's the idea of the mooring ropes from a ship, getting them loose so that ship can go and sail. You know, Paul says, I'm ready for this. My departure is ready. And here's why. The reason why I'm ready, because of my past. Verse 7, three ways. And some people will say, boy, Paul's pretty egotistical here. He says, I have, I have. But really, if you read the original language, the, the, the course is first, the fight is first, the faith is first. Not him. He's not really being egotistical here. He's talking about what he's done. So three ways that he has been faithful. First of all, as a soldier, right? I have fought a good fight. Paul truly did fight a good fight. Paul, as a soldier, was extraordinary. And as he fought, and he fought many times, he, he was one who, uh, and all these words are continuous action with the results now, okay? So it's continuing the fight. He's not over. It's not over, but he's continuing this fight. And he looks back over the, the mud and the blood and the mistakes and the victories and the losses and, and times of fainting and the shipwrecks and all these things. And he says that I view my life and look it over, I can say, God's been good. And I have been faithful to what God wants me to do. Isn't that a great testimony? Boy, can't, I, I trust you can say that one day. God's been good. I've been faithful to what he called me to do. And as you see that, he understood that the battle was with the flesh. He battled with sin. I'm sure he battled with ignorance and laziness, the world, the culture that he lived in. And yet he was faithful. We must battle in our culture today for what we know to be right. We must stand for what we know to be right. We must have some conviction. We need people of conviction today. We want to stand and say, yes, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the kind of person that Paul is. He's a soldier. And this battle is a place, is to, is, the battle is always to place something before God to make something more important than God or allow something to take God's place. 
allow something to get in the way of God's will for us and what God wants us to do. I like A.W. Tozer's devotional on this where he talks about exalting Christ in Colossians 1, 17 through 18. And he says this, Father, I want to know thee, but my cowardly heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from thee the terror of parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart those things which I cherish so long and which have become a very part of my living being so that thou mayest enter there and dwell there without rival. Isn't that the great truth for us today? Then shalt thou, then shall thou make the place of my feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it. For thyself will be the light of it, and there shall be no night there. Is he reigning in your heart? Are there rivals? Is there something that wants to usurp him from the throne of your life? That has no business being a part of who we are. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I've been faithful. And notice the descriptive word, the adjective. It's a good fight. A lot of people fight today. But it has to be a good fight. It has to be what's worthwhile. It has to be that which God gives to us and we understand to be from Him. And so He says, I have fought this good fight. It's been a part of who I am. Parents, your children, you need to fight a good fight. Especially the way the world is creeping in on us today. Adults, all of us need to understand that the culture is constantly creeping in on us, trying to undermine what we understand as God's people. And, of course, the theme of the book, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of what God has done in your heart. Don't be ashamed of your background. Don't be ashamed of what you hold to be true. Well, that's what he says here. I fought this good fight. Also, he says, I have finished my course. As an athlete, he finished the course. So we find that after the soul, and we're kind of behind here. <laughs> Are you all up to date? I'm on number two already, okay? And concerning the past. I just noticed that as I was sitting there, the past. And as a soldier, first of all, and then as an athlete. As an athlete, he is one who is finishing his course, he says. My course is finished. It's over. I've done my job. I've done my, I've done my, my abilities. You know, the, right now is the Olympics, of course, Boy, you know, I don't know about you, but all this stuff and all this politicalization of this, it just, takes the, the, it just takes the fun out of it, doesn't it? I mean, I haven't even turned the thing on yet myself. I am just so sick. Well, I won't get into that this morning. I'm just, but, you know, it's just all over the place anymore. And so, you know, but, but would this be a great place to talk about the Olympic race? You know, it would really be fine to do so. Because that's what Paul was talking about is the course that he had in his life. And he finished his course. Isn't that a great thing to do? He finished the course. Uh, he has done what God designed for him to do. And the, and the amazing thing is all of us have a course that God has laid out for us. You have your own course. You have your own plan of God. 
We call it His will. We must finish that course. We must involve ourselves in that course. And you don't have to run my course, and I'm not to run your course. I'm not answer for your course one day. I'll answer for my life when I see Him face to face. And so we find that it's a race that you, are, that you and I are in, and it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It goes on and on and on. Until you take your final breath, you will be in this race. And Paul was close to that. We find that Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this, verses 1 and 2, and he says, in our race, there are, there are basically two hindrances that come our way. One's called encumbrances, and the other is the sin that does so easily beset us. We've got to watch out for both. Encumbrances, they're not evil things. They're good things. But they sap our energy. They cause us to lose our strength and our vision for what Christ would have us to do. Encumbrances have a way of, of moving us from our focus of what God's plan is for us. And they are very subtle. It can happen to churches. It can happen to individuals where we move into things that are not our number one goal and priority. There's nothing wrong with feeding the poor, but the church's job is not to feed the poor, the hungry. The church's job is to win souls to Jesus Christ. It's not to make, not to spread, I said one day somebody said they were on a mission trip spreading uh, mosquito nets in Appalachia. And I heard David Dorn from Detroit, you know, Baptist Seminary, he says, that is not missions. You know, missions is the gospel. That would be John Piper's line right from his book. It's the gospel. And we've got to be careful we don't get distracted by all these things that are besetting, encumbrances, that take our energy and our focus. Sin, disobeying God. Boy, that'll get us off the mark, won't it, quickly. And so we find that as an athlete, we must keep our eyes on the goal. Whenever you keep your eyes on the goal, and you understand that where you're going, it makes it so much easier. And we got to focus on the goal that God has for us. As a soldier, as an athlete, as a steward, I have kept the faith. What a great phrase. God has given me a trust to guard. On that road to Damascus, when he shone his light from heaven. And Paul came to that place where he realized that he was a sinner and he was fighting against God. God says, you are now to be my servant. That was his stewardship. That was what he was to do. It was the faith. And I have kept the faith. I have been faithful to what he calls me to do. And you know, the faith, we must have doctrinal purity. And we must pass that on to others. We are living in a world today that knows very little about doctrinal purity and how important it is. Paul says, you know, I'm preaching and teaching the gospel and what's, what's going on there. And he never gave up on that. He never gave up on that responsibility that God gave him to teach God's word in the life that he lived. Kept the faith. Boy, you know, isn't that a great, great goal for us one day as we climb that final mountain 
And as we climb that final hill and we face God and our life is over, we can say, boy, you know, I've been faithful. Been faithful through all the years. Great for a church, great for a mission organization, great for a school, great for anything to be, to be faithful because you know, traditionally, especially when it comes to Bible colleges, there's this tendency to slide and uh, to move more and more towards the world. And, you know, we got to be careful in our lives that, that we are constantly reaffirming what we understand by God's Word and how we're allowing it to be the, the lodestone of what we believe. And so he says, I've kept that. My life has been filled with keeping that faith. What a testimony Paul has. His present, his past, probably the best part is the prize that he's going to have one day. Verse 8, because of this, these all tie together. You know, I'm ready because I have done these three things. Good fight, finished my course, kept the faith, henceforth. Henceforth, the reward is found in the first part of verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Crown of righteousness. It's the idea of a life that was faithful to him. We've mentioned it all through here because the whole passage is dealing with his faithfulness. But it is because of a life of faithfulness that he has this crown of righteousness <clears throat> that is going to be his. And notice where it's at. It is laid up. It is waiting for him. It is there, available to him. It's being stored. It's being guarded. And it's waiting for him to come and claim this crown. Boy, are you faithful? Do you have a crown of righteousness laid up for you in heaven? Being stored and ready to go as soon as you are through those gates of pearls, we'll call them that anyway. And in the presence of Jesus, you can claim that crown because of that faithfulness. I trust so. All this because he was right with God. Because he performed Christ's work. And he would allow God to judge his works. He would stand before him and say, you know, God, you judge what I am, which the Lord, I should read this, the righteous judge shall give me on the day. It's something that's going to happen to me. You know, he's not claiming perfection, but he's claiming the righteousness of his Redeemer who is in heaven. And he says, that's where my righteousness comes from. That's where I'm going to be able to, to claim this grand reward one day. It's not a crown of glory. A lot of folks... Spend a lot of time looking for glory, don't they? Wanting to have some kind of glory for themselves. You know, it's not really a crown of peace. I'm sure peace is involved with this. Everybody wants peace in their life. You know, um, we, if there was as much peace as, there's, as it's talked about, this place would be tranquil in our world today, wouldn't it? We're always having peace treaties and peace conferences. And, all, and yet we seem to be further from peace today. Even in our own country, we're further from peace today than we've ever been, it would seem to me to be. It's not a crown of peace or even a crown of joy. Nothing wrong with those things. But it's a permanent state of righteousness. Now think about this. Hang with me for a second. This is the realization 
of what happened to him when he was saved, when the Holy Spirit entered his life and baptized him at salvation, and he experienced the peace and the tranquility of God, but, that's a terrible word, isn't it? He still had to dwell with the sin nature. I just read Romans chapter 7 the other day. You can read it for yourself. Still, now that sin nature, but now when he gets to heaven and receives his crown, that sin nature is gone. No more to trouble him. Isn't that a grand thought? Whenever the flesh has been, the words used theologically, is eradicated, it's taken care of. It'll not happen here on this earth because you've got a body that's got the flesh, got a sin nature. But that's what he's talking about here, this crown of righteousness which he will receive one day. And this righteous judge is going to be the one who gives it to him. That day it's going to happen. That day whenever he comes to be with him, gift and shall give to me at that day. Notice that, verse 8. It's still future. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen because of his life here on this earth, because of what he accomplished for Christ here on this earth. It is laid up for him. It is, and he's anticipating this time together. And notice the recipient after the reward is the last part of verse 8. But unto all them also that love his appearing. It's not just for Paul. This is for those who are waiting and longing for Christ to return. They're waiting for him to come back. Are you anticipating the soon return of Jesus Christ today? You know, we've talked about it for years. We've preached about it for years. One day it's going to happen. And it could be today. Nothing is preventing Christ from returning. And he could come today. And so we find that he says it's for those that love his appearing. Are you living your life in anticipation of Christ breaking through the clouds and getting you, taking you home to be with him? to dwell with him, 1 Thessalonians, the, 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 the devotional for Tuesday said, to dwell, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, to dwell and to ever be with the Lord. Isn't that a grand thought? You and I will never, ever be apart from him again at that point. We are right now physically. His Holy Spirit dwells within us, but we're not in him, with him physically. We will be with him forever. Are you living like Christ could appear at any moment? Is everything right now right between you and your Savior? Do you know Christ? That's the most important thing. Have you come to that point in your life where you've accepted Him and said, yes, I'm a sinner. I know I have sinned and I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior because of the blood that He shed there at Calvary. That's the first step. 
fair this week. Some young people made that declaration. What a great thing that is. Maybe today should be your day to submit yourself before the Almighty God and say, I can't save myself. Only you can save me. And humble your heart and humble your life before Him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. It's the most important decision you ever make. And so that's part of anticipating His return, knowing that I'm ready to go. And so we find that He is one who is that there's also going to be this reward for those who love his appearing. Paul is not speaking here from pride, but he's speaking from a heart that was victorious. And as he deals or moves towards that end result of life, he can look back over his days and he can look at the faithfulness. Now here it's for himself, but also God's faithfulness in his life. Because God's been faithful to us, hasn't He? He's been so faithful to you and I. Every breath you draw is a gift. Doesn't, you do not have to, you know, he doesn't have to give it to you, but He does. And so He's been faithful to us. And we need to live in faithfulness to Him. Some people start out well, they don't finish too well. You know, we need to finish well. You need to have an entire race not just work at it for a little bit and quit. No, it's the entire race of your life. You know, think about your life and think about Paul being faithful. And I'm going to just end with this thought. You know, how, how have you grown in the Lord? Just think of the last year of your life. How are you closer to God now than you were a year ago? This time a year ago, we were just coming out of COVID. Remember all those things? We don't even want to use that word, do we? And all the events that occurred there. How's God been faithful to you this last year? Has your commitment grown? Have your, are you still faithful to the gospel? Are you still looking to Him for for your blessings in life? I trust your convictions haven't changed or your standards haven't changed. You know, well, you know, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're looser than... No, we want to be sure that we're getting more like Jesus Christ, drawing closer to Him. So I trust today that you're, you're closer to Him now than, than you were a year ago because the tenor of your heart has been, Lord, I want your blessing. I need your blessing. And I want to be as faithful as I possibly can to you in these years that I have left. And for us in this room, it's all different ages, you know, different times that we have left for Him. So this morning, as you think about Paul and you think about his final words to uh, Timothy and also his final words to us, I trust that you can say, yes, I am fighting a good fight because for us it's still relevant. You know, I am working on my course and I'm keeping the faith. We will change the tenses of the word there, will we not? Because of what he has for me to do. Because of what he has for me to be involved with. There's still much work to be done and to be accomplished for God in this world today.
And I trust that you are going to redouble your efforts to be faithful to Him and allow Paul to be the example of one who said, Yes, I am ready. I am ready, Lord. I'm ready for whatever is going to happen. You know, again, the way to be ready is to know Him, to love Him, to be involved in His, in his service. I trust today you are ready for whatever God wants to do in your life. You've prepared yourself for that. Father.